You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. This tragedy hasn't caused us to pull away from God. It's caused us to draw closer to God. In fact, God has drawn us closer to Him through the loss. We have deeper trust and deeper confidence, deeper love. Here's the reality of the situation. When your heart is most broken is exactly when your wife and when your children are most going to need your leadership. It's, it's at that very point. And so you don't get to opt out. You don't get to, to disappear. We are very, very weak and very vulnerable, very earthy, dusty little little creatures. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to grieve well. This is Adam Griffin, and unfortunately today my co-hosts are not with us today, but that better news, not better, I guess, than Cassie and Chelsea, but good news. I'm here with author, theologian, husband, and parent, Tim Challies. How are you doing today, Tim? Doing well, thanks. Great. I'm so glad to have you with us. It is a, a high honor to have you on the podcast. I'll tell you, you would not remember this, but probably about a decade ago, one of the highest honors of my life, because I'll tell you, Tim, I, I check your website all the time. I love your, your Kindle deals. I'm a huge Kindle advocate. I'm also, uh, I love the a la carte work you do where you read the entire internet and then tell us what's worth reading, which I appreciate. About 10 years ago, one of the first blogs I ever wrote at The Village made your a la carte list and I felt like I'd made it. I felt like this is the moment I have written something that uh, Tim, at least somebody who works for Tim thought was worth reposting somewhere. So thank you for that. A huge vote of encouragement. Sure thing. Yeah, I should send a plaque for your wall or something with that. <laughs> Gosh, you have no idea. I would I would hang a plaque. That would be awesome. But I do I appreciate all the work you do to curate content for us. But also I want to talk today about things that you've created. You're such a well, you do a lot to curate content, recommend books. The things that you've created, the writing that you've done, and particularly the book I want to talk about today is it had a profound impact on me while I was reading it. Certainly you do such a fantastic job as a clarifying theologian, as a helpful voice in many things, whether it's your blog or your books. But the, this book in particular, I know, is more personal to you. I want you to know it also had a more personal impact on me. I'm sure it will on its other readers as well. So as we jump into that, I, I know a lot of people know about Tim Challies, the author and the content curator. Can you tell us a little bit about Tim Challies, the husband, the father? What is your family like? Sure, yeah. Uh, I got married to Aileen in 1998, which means we're coming up on our 25th wedding anniversary a little bit later this year. And uh, All right, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Milestone that'll come up in August. And uh, uh, interestingly, we anticipate, if all goes according to plan, that roughly two days before we hit our 25th anniversary, we'll become empty nesters because our uh, youngest will be going to college. So oh, we're going to take go. off for a couple of weeks right after. We'll drop her at home take off for a couple of weeks, some nice time away. So, but yeah, Elaine and I have been married for 25 years. The Lord blessed us with three children. First up was Nick, uh, who you referenced before. He went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago now. Then Abby is uh, living down in Louisville, Kentucky with her husband. She got married last year and uh, she's in her junior year at Boyce College where she's studying biblical counseling. And then Michaela is 16 years old, headed to Boyce in the fall also to study biblical counseling. Wow. I'm sure you're, you're incredibly proud. I'm sure your wife is as well. And congratulations, 25 years of marriage. You guys have yeah. done it well. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you've written, uh, 
the book that you've written most recently, it, it is so beautifully personal and so tender. It's about, uh, for those of you who aren't aware of it, it's about the grief that your family has been through recently in, in, in losing Nick. It's called Seasons of Sorrow. Even as we record this, I know that this Sunday was Nick's uh, 23rd birthday. Uh, it's just this wonderfully vulnerable, incredibly helpful book. I just wondered if you could give our listeners just a little insight. It's been a little while since you wrote it. Just how are you and your family doing today? How are the Chalies doing? Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's been uh, a couple of years now and we're doing okay. You know, we, we the, the early days have long since come and gone and with them just that unbearable weight of grief that none of us could withstand for very long. You just couldn't live in that place. And thankfully, we don't need to that as time goes on, time does help heal us. And you notice the passing of time, and then of course, just grappling with what's happened and Honestly, I think the biggest thing is just submitting to the Lord in it, understanding that God is sovereign and this was his will. And so we will bow the knee to him. We're doing well. Um, There's still hard days, of course. And I don't think a day has gone by where we don't think about Nick. Um, But no, we're doing well. And it's just what trips us up now tends to be occasions. And so, you know, Abby got married back in, in May and... Yeah, of course, it was hard to to see our table with one seat too few and to, to just very much sense Nick's absence rather than his presence or, you know, the anniversary of his death or birthdays. Those things are hard. But other than that, you know, we're doing well. And uh, by grace, God's been very, very kind to us. God's been true to his every promise. And we're just so thankful. Yeah, I want to talk more about because you do such a beautiful job in the book, really expressing theologically where you think and where you land and where you're grounded. And it's so helpful to those people who have or are grieving. I will talk about that more in a minute, but the way you, uh, one of my favorite things in the book is the way you speak about your son, Nick. You, It's so moving to hear you testify to his faith, his calling, his godliness. I was overwhelmed as a father. You're thinking about uh, my own sons, thinking about your family, what it must be like. I wonder, since uh, as we get into this book a little bit more, and our podcast focuses a lot on spiritual leadership in the home, I wonder as you reflect on Nick's life, what are your sa- some of your favorite memories about spiritual conversations with your son? I imagine it, it kind of oozes through the book, this kind of this proud father who saw this son following Christ. What are your favorite spiritual conversation memories of your time with Nick? Oh boy. Um, yeah, I, I, Nick and I talked a lot. He was a good conversation partner. And as time went on, um, he, he was always serious minded, but as time went on, he became um, more and more so, especially when he began Bible college and then began seminary. And uh, honestly, it wasn't too far, it be- wasn't too long before he was, he knew things I didn't. And um, you know, especially when he, I never went to seminary. So he was, he was more advanced in his theological education than I was. And I think some of my favorite memories are me calling him to ask his advice as I worked through Greek, as I was uh, about ready to preach a sermon or something, and he would help me uh, help me through it. And that was, that was awfully precious. Uh, other than that, you know, we had some good talks about his developing relationship with the young lady who would become his fiance. And, um, I was one of the things I did as a dad was really emphasize getting time alone with my kids. And so every Saturday morning, I would take one of them off for a uh, a breakfast at a nearby breakfast place. And just so many good conversations over that table between Nick and myself. And then, of course, the, the girls and myself as well. So I don't know that there's too many single memories that, that stand out, but more just uh, 20 years of enjoying enjoying Nick and speaking to him about the 
the little things in life, the unimportant things in life, but also those those big things. Thank you so much for sharing those things. And in the in the book, um, man, I want to. There's so many quotes I wanted to pull out to ask you about, but this first one I want to ask you about is fairly lengthy. But I just love your writing, Tim. You have such a great way with words. Your your book is so well worded. One of the things you say is that a wise man a wise man once said that the true victory of faith is to trust God in the dark and and through the dark. I trusted God as he led me through daylight. I will trust him now as he leads me through the thickest darkness. I may not be able to see the way I go, but I don't need to because my eye is fixed on the one who's guiding me there. He's given me every reason to trust him. He's given me every reason to have confidence that he will hold my course steady until the keel of this weather-beaten little boat has finally nudged against the shore of glory and I am home." Uh, man, so much of the early parts of your book, you point to your trust in God, your theological grounding in the midst of grief. Can you flesh out a little bit for maybe the family who's who doesn't have maybe that same just resolute, anchored faith? How How is your theology, uh, how does what you believe about God, how has it blessed you in the midst of these circumstances where I think a lot of parents might be tempted to blame God or despise Him for what's happened? One of the things my parents did well was providing theological instruction for us kids. And that was partly just them sitting us around the the kitchen table and make no mistake, we hated it. We complained about it. We fought. We made a mess of it. I mean, we did not want our parents to theologically instruct us, but they did. So part of it was that. And then part of it was through the churches we were part of. I grew up in the Presbyterian and in part the Dutch Reformed tradition, both of which take catechizing very seriously. And so, you know, question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism, it just gets right out there. What is your only comfort in life and death? And so the assumption of the whole catechism is that we'll need to be comforted. And what is our comfort? I'm not my own. I belong in body and soul, in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, is, is how it begins. And so, that was the the groundwork my my family and my churches laid when I was young, just this focus on the goodness and the sovereignty of God. I belong to him, my children belong to him, we belong in body and in soul, we belong in life and in death, and so I had this deep grounding in that sort of doctrine doctrine that would emphasize god's sovereignty and god's character god's goodness, and so when this great tragedy befell us, the only question was, are we going to enact our theology in that moment, or are we going to throw it all out? You know, has this ever Mm -hmm. been true? Because if it's never been true, let's let's get rid of it, and let's just find something else to believe in. Or are we going to just double down and say, no, we believe this is true, we believe it's always been true, and now we're just going to hook our anchor onto this truth, and we're going to just go deeper and deeper into this truth. We're going to live our lives as if this is just absolutely foundationally true. And that's what we we chose to do by God's grace. And it's been so comforting and so so helpful. And I'm just so thankful that we had our doctrine in place before we went into this, this great trial. Um, I, I would not want to be fighting through these things um, in the midst of the trial. Far better to, to have it in place and then just to have to, to enact it. Yeah, I can tell you from as a voice of experience who's been, well, not through what you've been through. I've had dear friends who do not follow Christ who've lost children. And I have very dear friends who do follow Christ who've lost children. 
And I'll tell you too, in particular, uh, uh, Steve Stegall is one of my dearest friends. He works with me at the church we work at. He lost his four-year-old daughter this last year. Your book was such a blessing to him and his family. And I think likewise has really anchored, uh, the word you used, just anchored themselves to that same theology, that same understanding. Of course, when you were probably being catechized, you weren't thinking, it wasn't even the realm of possibility that one day this will this truth is what you're going to need to hear and trust in the midst of that. And my friends who don't follow Christ— Man, I've seen people, uh, well-meaning Christians, try to share that theology of God's sovereignty in a way that seems trite and cliche to them in the midst of her. It sometimes really hurts. One of the things you talked about in the book is um, the uh, Paul in Romans talking about how all things work together for good, which to the person who doesn't trust Christ can seem like, how could this possibly, how could anything like this, this absolute tragedy how could this possibly be good? One of the things you say, the way you describe this verse, you say, God makes many promises and the best of them are for our worst times. It's when we're struck down and very nearly destroyed that we most crave God's comfort, God's assurance, God's words of peace. Perhaps the most precious of all is this, all things work for good. And you say this is not uh, to despise the dark days, difficult trials, and broken hearts, but it's through them that God does these works. How is it? How is it that the Christian can believe that there is good happening when everything seems so bad? Well, for that, we just need to go to the cross, don't we? Um, we we see the the single most evil event that's ever happened in human history, which is the perfect, sinless, blameless Son of God being nailed to a cross, the the people he had created, rebelling against him, torturing him, putting him to death, treating him like like a sinner, treating him like garbage, treating him uh, with with the utmost contempt. And yet we see from that most horrifying event in all of human history coming the greatest possible good in all of human history, which is God glorifying himself by the redemption of of his people. So if we begin at the cross and say the greatest evil brought the greatest good, then we can look at lesser losses, the losses like the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, or you know, even the loss of a job, any of these things that are truly painful and truly horrible. We can look at them and, and just extrapolate from the greater to the lesser. If God brought so much glory to himself, if he accomplished something so incredibly wonderful through the death of his own precious son, then surely he can accomplish something wonderful through the death of my own precious son or through Amen. whatever uh, terrible losses we go through. So that doesn't mean they don't hurt. That doesn't mean we shrug them off. It doesn't mean we don't cry and weep and lament and, and all the rest. But it does mean that God's proven already what he can do. He's proven that he can use loss in such incredible ways. That's so Beautiful, helpful, theologically helpful and and grounding. I love everything you just said. I think one of the more difficult things when a family's going through something like your family has been through is the 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 answer to the question why seems to be what what haunts people. Why would God do this? Like I know that he can do things with it. I know that he has done things through the cross, but why? This you use um, one of the metaphors you use in the book is talking about uh, telling a farmer what to do with his field, and you say in that metaphor as you're talking about uh, talking to God, then that it would be rash, it would be arrogant, it would be downright blasphemous for me to demand that God cede to my will 
my plan, my desires, my limited grasp of the facts. For matters of life and death fall within the jurisdiction of God, not man. I love this. You say, they are the expertise of that father, not this father. What a beautiful statement. I wonder if you can help us unpack. For the parent who's truly struggling to believe that right now, who desperately wants to know but why? Can you offer a moment maybe of compassion, of empathy for that why question, but also how would you pastor someone who's in that moment going, hey, Tim, I, I believe what you're saying, but help me in my unbelief. Uh, ultimately, God doesn't owe us and often doesn't give us the answers to our why questions. Um, he may in the future. I think he probably will in the future, but we're so limited now. What we see and what we understand is so tiny, just based on our tiny little minds and our finiteness and our specific place in, in time and space. We just can't understand the full why. If God is really doing in this world what he says he's doing in this world, and if his mind is so vast and his, his power is so strong, then who are we to really even understand it? I mean, we're the kind of people who who fall walking up the stairs. You know, we're the kind of people who can't remember what we set out to do two minutes ago. We're not the kind of people who should have a great deal of confidence in ourselves to judge what God has done as being wrong. And so when we grasp our own smallness and we really believe in God's greatness, then we're in a position where we can just bow the knee to God and say, I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't even particularly like it, but I'm just going to have to trust you with this. And if we're willing to trust God with our souls, which is what we do when we we put our faith in him, surely we can trust him with our circumstances as well. And But when we believe in Jesus or we put our faith in Jesus, we don't just do it for salvation. We do it for life. We're really just surrendering our lives to him and saying, I'll live according to your purposes. I'll live according to your will. And if it brings me joy, wonderful. It brings me pain, wonderful. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting my entire life to you to be used according to your purposes and to be used to bring you glory. And sometimes that takes us through very dark valleys, very difficult circumstances, but we simply have to, to trust the Lord at those things. So I I don't encourage people to seek out the why. I would encourage them to seek out the who. You know, instead of seeking Amen. out why did God did this, do this, just just look to God and come to know the character of God, and you'll find that He's good. You'll find that He's gracious. You'll find that He's loving. You'll find that He's inclined toward you. You'll find all of this. He has the kind of character that really begs and demands our full confidence, our full trust. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order 
at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, Family 10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey, listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. I imagine much of what you said here, and even much of what you've written theologically in the book, you would have believed, you would have ascribed even before your family uh, had to grieve Nick's loss. I wonder, I want to talk uh, some little bit about grief a little bit more too in here in a second, but I wonder if now these truths that you would have already ascribed to, you already believed, you would have even already articulated probably just as well as you do right now. I wonder if how, how have the last couple of years maybe changed or evolved or maybe even matured these for you? And I wonder if that's made any difference in the way that you teach it or the way that you speak to a parent who's been through something similar. What What's different now in the way that you espouse these beliefs than just what it was even three, four years ago? I mean, my kids learned French in school here in Canada. It's an option you have is to be in French immersion, to be immersed in French and to learn the language. And then one year we went to France and our kids were able to communicate in French. And so their knowledge, their understanding was tested. And at the other side of it, they realized, oh yeah, I can speak French, not just in a classroom setting where the, the vocabulary is defined and you know the setting is, is easy. But here in France, we can go to church, I can hear a sermon, I can understand what's going on. And our knowledge of God and our understanding of God and our what we believe about God, in the same way, it gets tested. Um, God tests us through trials and through circumstances. And those things we believed before, hopefully on the other side of them, if they were true, hopefully we believe them still, but we believe them in a different way. So we can say... Um, the Lord is my shepherd, you know, I, I shall not want. We can, we can say he leads me, we can talk about him leading me through the valley of the shadow of death, but it's when you've been through the valley or when you're in the valley and still Amen. God is with you, still his rod and his staff are, are comforting you, blessing you. Then, of course, you can say in a new way, oh yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I truly believe that now because that, that my faith has been tested. My faith has been proven, and even our, our our confidence in the Lord, or even our the existence of our faith, gets tested through trial. So we can come through our trial and say, "I really do love the Lord." That's been tested in the most profound way, and I know now that I'm truly a child of God in a way maybe I didn't even know before because it's been tested. And on the far side of my loss, I love the Lord even more. And I think my my wife, my daughters, myself, I think we could all testify. We love the Lord more now than we did wow. before. This tragedy hasn't caused us to pull away from God. It's caused us to 
draw closer to God. In fact, God has drawn us closer to him through the loss. We have deeper trust and deeper confidence, deeper love. Well, I, you've already heard me say how much I, I love your book. This is not not just gushing. I really like was moved by it, touched by it. And it's saying something when I say that my favorite chapter, because I, I love so much of your book, but my favorite chapter in your book is the one called To My Son on His 21st Birthday. And this is when you write to Nick. You say things like, being your dad was truly one of the highest honors I could ever imagine. And outliving you is one of the deepest sorrows. I, uh, like tears are coming to my eyes right now, just reading that line, how, how much is packed into that, how much love for your son. And one of the other things you say in that chapter is that God has used your death to help pry my fingers off this world to make me long for heaven in a whole new way. I think that idea might be one, you know, for any family listening to think about how from what you have been through, how it has impacted you. You talk about prying your fingers off this world. What would you say to, to any family who maybe not right now is not even experiencing suffering, but what would you say to them about the attachments to our children and to a world that, that Nick has helped you learn? Well, this world can be very good. And I'd often spoken to my wife on a number of occasions anyways, before all this happened and said, you know, the Bible just seems to say we should expect suffering. And you and I haven't suffered. We've had a very easy, good life. I mean, obviously, we've had the normal things. Grandparents have died and, you know, jobs have been lost and things that are painful, but nothing really pronounced. And and so we kind of knew, of course, we were going to suffer in life, but still this life is is good. And there's so many joys and so many blessings and that that's wonderful and good. On the other hand, God promises us something far better beyond. And this world is full of pain and full of evil and, and suffering and sorrow and sin and and all the rest. And so I think God uses these things um, in order to pry our fingers off the world, in order to show us that this world really isn't all that it could be, and that we really do need to set our hearts on what is to come, not on this world. And you just have to look around you to see people whose hearts really are fixed and fixated on this world. They have no vision for anything beyond it, no desire for anything beyond, and therefore no real real hope. But as Christians, I hope we're, we're shifting our affections from this world to the next and from, um, yeah, just all the sorrow and suffering here to the joy that's to come. And um, I, I want to distinguish between how God uses something and why God may have done or may have permitted something. Good. And so um, I don't know why God took Nick when he did. I, I fully believe that God was intricately involved in numbering Nick's days and then calling Nick home. And that's a, it's a beautiful thing um, to, to know that God is sovereign in that way, to know that this was God's will. But I don't want to say that God did it in order to pry my fingers off this right. world. I think we have to be so careful we don't speak about the effects of something and conflate that with the cause. I just don't know why God did it, but I do see how God is using it. And one of the ways he's using it is to just tear us away from this world, to, to shift our hearts. And so we're, we're content to be here for as long as God has us here. We still have things to do. We still have children to love, um, you know, hopefully grandchildren, all these wonderful blessings that God provides us. We're still looking forward to those, but more and more our hearts are set in heaven. And, and when the, the summons comes, I think in a, in a deeper way than ever, we're, we're ready to go. That's such an excellent point of clarity, Tim, to, 
to express, we're not, we're not conflating this with the, the answer to the why question that we kind of already walked through. And while we could say that Nick's life mattered and Nick's death matter, we don't have to conflate like the lessons learned in the grief to this must be why. You even mentioned in the book, some of the false theologies that sneak in when people want to answer that why question and come up with the explanation. I've heard the same things about, well, God, you know, God needed an angel and that's why this happened. That's that false theology. One of my, uh, one of the best lines in the book, you say, I would not summon Nick back to this world if I could, for that would be to rob him of the greatest of all gains to force him to experience so much loss. What a beautiful line. How does that uh, help us see like how that trust in the life to come does impact your grief now when you're talking about what Nick has, what he's been given, and not a false theology of that, not an escapism either for us now, but how does trust in the life to come impact grief right now? You know, we're just on the far side of there being all these books about people visiting heaven, you know, for a time that heaven tourism was was all the rage. People go to heaven and then come back, supposedly, and, and give their experiences of it. And of course, everybody's experience was totally different. Nobody had the same version of heaven. We could we could discuss that. But always in my mind, as I, I saw those books and heard those authors and all of that, was wouldn't it be wouldn't it be so cruel to go and experience the joys of heaven? I mean, just to experience the presence of God or to experience sinlessness, the inability to sin. Can you imagine what it would be like to not be able to sin, to not want to sin? And then to have to come back here and now to, to have tasted perfection, to have tasted the presence of God, to have worshipped with the, the heavenly choir. It would, I don't see how you could live. I don't see how you could do anything, but just go right back. And so, yeah, if, if what we believe is true, then the cruelest thing of all would be for Nick to, to come back to this world. And, you know, he escaped so much pain and so much loss by dying young. He didn't escape anything that makes him essentially human. He, he never married. He never had children. Well, you know what? Neither did Jesus. And he lived a, a good and complete life. He, he didn't miss out on anything that there won't be so much better to come in heaven. Yeah. And so we can, we can be content that he's there. We can trust that he's there. Again, either this whole thing has been a waste of time, this whole Jesus thing, this whole faith thing has been a complete waste of time and, and just some delusion, or it's true. And we're going to bear down into that and continue to believe it's true uh, all the way to the end. I wonder if you could help us think about too as a father. I know a lot of people listening, uh, maybe if this is the first episode they're listening to, it might be because they're in a really, really rough spot and they need to be comforted. If they're regular listeners, maybe they're thinking about comforting others or their their own suffering. I wonder if you could give us kind of a window into your world as a father now with these daughters that you want to help them in their grieving process, with this wife that you want to join her in her grieving process. And at the same time, you're hurt. You have your own hurts. And that's a lot. That's a big struggle for a lot of parents who feel like they almost have to bury their own grief in order to to play the role of the adult in this situation. Almost have to pretend like everything is okay in order to theologize or guide or whatever. You've been so vulnerable in the book and even in this conversation talking about your hurt, but also your 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 anchored theology. I wonder if. As a father, how are you navigating leading your family, being a part of like, hey, let's let's do this in grief and at the same time navigating your own hurt? Well, if you want to lead, you don't get to opt out at a time when leadership is difficult or when your heart is broken. And so 
as a dad, if you're the leader in your home, you're the leader in your home, even when you suffer tragedy and loss and you don't get to, to tap out. And so even when your heart is most broken, I mean, the, here's the, here's the reality of the situation. When your heart is most broken is exactly when your wife and when your children are most going to need your leadership. It's, mm-hmm. it's at that very point. And so you don't get to opt out. You don't get to, to disappear. You just have to cry out to the Lord for help and continue to bless and lead and, and help them. And so um, I found, I guess just because I hadn't thought about it a whole lot, that, you know, if we talk about love languages or something along those lines, there's grief languages as well. You know, that a father is going to grieve differently from a mother, a man from a woman, a husband from a wife, and then, of course, parents from children. All these are different forms of grief. And we need to be very patient with one another. We have no right to demand other people grieve as we do or at the pace we do or with the timeline we do. We have to be so patient and and forbearing with one another. And um, yeah, even as parents, you have to help your children. You may have to set your own grief to the side a little bit so you can be useful to your other children. And so you can help them with their less mature faith and less mature minds process what they're going through so um it's, it's right here in the in your deepest sorrow that you're going to to be most needed that's so helpful i know a lot of grieving parents too i've talked to have talked about the blessing of having kids grieving differently and a spouse that does grieve differently can be a blessing to you we often talk about you know when somebody's grieving that grief is a form of love that you wouldn't it wouldn't hurt if you didn't love them and so i love what you said about love languages that grief can not only be different for different people, but different at different times. You know, you wake up one day and you feel ready to laugh and the next day you are not. And and that might be unpredictable for you. And we always tell people in, in the midst of grief, you have permission to grieve differently than each other. But I love what you said about being patient. You have to be understanding with one another as well, to be gracious towards one another, knowing that someone else is going to grieve differently, even if it's the closest person to us, the most loving person to us, and the person from whom maybe we want to be led or have compassion. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, thank, I think another thing that just, one other thing that comes to mind with grief is that one of the tricky things is to, is to work through, am I just feeling sorry for myself? Could there even be mm-hmm. some sin bound up in this grief? Or do I just need to set it aside right now? Um, is it just other circumstances in life? Um, you know, it could, could be any number of things, sleeplessness or hormones or whatever. And suddenly you're feeling things in a much deeper way. And do you need to, to work that through sometimes and say, you know what? I think there's other circumstances that are making this hurt so much worse than it otherwise would. And we are very, very weak and very vulnerable, very earthy, dusty little, little creatures. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to grieve well. Yeah, that's great permission, uh, a great uh, commendation for people to understand what else, what are the contributing factors that might be here and uh, what else am I going through? I do think, you know, grief is a great time to invite a third voice into your life, a pastor, a counselor, or like yourself, somebody who's been there, even if it's through a book. This is why books like this are so helpful because you, you find in it a voice of a a father who who can who's been there who empathizes and your grief is so well worded and your theology is so clearly communicated that's one of the reasons i really loved this book tim the the window you offered in your suffering today into and in the book i know it's not easy but it has been a blessing to others so i'm so grateful that you were willing to write the story out i know so much of your life is out loud and public and on the internet but i'm grateful for this that while you took time i'm sure 
to process on your own that you're willing to process without as uh, with us out loud as well. I'm very, very thankful for you, Tim. Before we let you go, what are some of the ways that our listeners can be blessing you, praying for you and your family in the days ahead? What kind of things can we pray for the Chalice family? Thanks. Yeah. Um, I, I just think grief is a long road and we're still babies. I mean, this may be something we have to carry my wife and I, you know, maybe another 40, 50 years, who knows how long the Lord will give us and my daughters for possibly longer than that. So grief is a long road. And I don't want to assume that just because we've weathered the first couple of years doesn't mean we'll, we'll weather the others. And, um, you know, Satan's attacks can come at all, at all points in life. And so, um, just pray for perseverance to continue to just suffer this well. And then I think just this this stretch of time more than any other normalcy is resuming. And so for a time, um, not just through our loss, but also through pandemics and everything else, life was sort of confined to our home or confined to our community. But um, just this year, I'm traveling more and, you know, Michaela is going to be heading off to college and all of these things. And so life is feeling different than it has uh, for the past couple of years. So just that we would do that well and uh, find God's grace sufficient and uh, our obedience intact through through even that. Uh, amen. Well, I'm honored to pray for you. I'm grateful for you sharing those things with us. And thanks for your time today, Tim. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit one of our sponsors or share this episode with one of your friends. I bet you know someone who would really be blessed by the conversation we just had. If you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you, listeners. We're looking forward to all that God has for us this spring and the weeks ahead. We will see you next week.